So Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28 this morning. I'm going to start by reading the text. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away. She's crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Her daughter was healed instantly. Recently watching my favorite movie with my wife. And I won't tell you what the movie is because it's not the point. But I had this sense that I, I really wanted her to enjoy it too. You feel this way? When you're watching a movie with somebody and and you really want them to get in the story, you want them to feel it like you feel it. You've been there? And so when that happens, you're sitting next to them and you don't want them to get up and go to the bathroom. You don't want them to be distracted by, you know, the dishes or other things. You want them to keep their eyes on the screen. Are you with me? Some, yes, yeah. Sometimes, i got to be honest with you, I feel that way as a pastor and as a preacher. I know I've been in the study all week. I've been looking at this passage. I've been praying over it. Kind of, I'm in, in the gold mines trying to pull out all the gold. And I come here on Sunday, and I just want you to keep your eyes on the screen. I want you to see and feel what I feel. And this is one of those passages. It just... It touched my heart this week, and I'm so excited to walk through it with you. You know, the main command for us as readers in this passage comes to us in verse 22. Matthew's given us this command before. What are the first two words? And behold. That's Matthew's way of saying, keep your eyes on the screen here. Watch this. Pay attention. This is is important. I know you have things going on in your life. You have Christmas events, Christmas presents, you have family, you have good relationships, bad relationships, perhaps some of you going through trials, but I want you to get all the juice out of this one, okay? So I want you to lay aside those distractions and behold, look, watch this encounter that Jesus has with this woman. So three Uh, points that will walk us through the text. And the first is this. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. I don't want you to be mistaken. I I want to just say from the top. It's easy to walk away from counters like this and go, man, what a woman. 
Did you see those great statements of faith that this woman expressed that came out of her mouth? And then look at what Jesus says about her. Jesus says, oh woman, great is your faith. So we could be tempted to walk away and go, this is a woman of great faith. But I think we would be remiss if we didn't look first at the object of her faith. Instead of walking away saying, what a woman, we need to walk away and go, what a man Jesus Christ is. I mean, did you hear what she said about him? Because the statements that Christ draws out of her mouth are profound. Profound. Planets in our solar system, they do not set themselves in orbit. Planets don't chart their path through space. The massive object in the center moves them. In the same way, you want to know why this woman said what she said? Because the gravity of the sun pulled it out of her. Her faith is oriented by the center of the universe, Jesus Christ. And she says some remarkable things. So we need to look at Jesus. In fact, I want us to step into the classroom with this Canaanite Gentile. She's going to teach us a lesson in Christology. That is the study of Christ. And the first thing she teaches us about Christ is, is uh, the subpoint in your outline. He is merciful. Jesus is merciful. What's the first thing she says? She says, have mercy on me. That word mercy is undeserved relief. She wants relief from something. She, she wants compassion. Compassion. This woman is looking for someone who cares. She's looking for someone who can sympathize with her trouble. Who understands her story. And who's willing and able to help her. Do you know where you can find a person like that? A person who cares about you? Your story, your trouble? Who sympathizes with you? Do you know where to lead someone for that kind of mercy? This woman knows where to go. She knows where to go to find mercy. Now, this woman doesn't go to Eshman. Eshman was the pagan god of that region, the pagan god of healing. She doesn't go to Eshman. No, she certainly doesn't go to the Pharisees and scribes that were just described in the previous passage. Those guys don't know mercy. So where does she go for mercy? She goes to the one who has compassion for the crowds. She goes to the one whose gut literally turns with mercy. He's, he's the mercy monger. He distributes merciful acts like Amazon distributes packages. Jesus is merciful. And she knows that. He's renowned for his mercy. Jesus has said, I have compassion for people. Hebrews says that he sympathizes with us in our weakness. Titus says that he saved us according to his mercy. Ephesians says that it is in Christ that we see God is rich in mercy. This woman knows where to go because he is merciful. And so where will you go? Where will you go? Who understands your situation in life? 
Who can sympathize with your trouble, your weaknesses? Who cares about what you're going through today? Who's willing and able to relieve you of your infirmities, to bear your burdens, to forgive your sin? Well, listen to the woman. Look at Jesus, for he is merciful. The second thing this woman teaches us about Jesus is that he is Lord. It's the second point in your outline. He is Lord. This woman calls Jesus Lord four times. Four times in this passage. Now you see three in the English. But I want to show you that in verse 27, she says it a fourth time. Now, the word for Lord in the Greek is kurios. Kurios. It can be translated as either Lord or Master. In fact, we see both translations in verse 27. Look at it. She said, yes, Lord, kurios. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's Curios, table. So she calls Jesus Lord four times. Now to declare that Christ is Lord is to declare that he rules over all. I prayed it in my prayer. He is the sovereign Lord over all. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's Lord over the heavens. And he's Lord over the earth and everything within them. Psalm 110, verse 1, is a psalm of David. He says, Yahweh says to my Lord, that is David's Lord, we understand this to be the Messiah, the Son, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. So Jesus is Lord over heaven and earth. He is Lord over all opposing forces in this world. Over the demon that has possessed this woman's daughter. He is Lord over death, the greatest enemy. Even death is subject to this Lord. In fact, Revelation says that he is Lord of lords. There's not a president, a governor, congressman, woman. Not a CEO, not a billionaire, not a terrorist, not a tyrant that does not submit to his lordship. They may not acknowledge he's the Lord, but he is their Lord. He's the Lord of lords. So do you agree with this woman? Do you agree that Jesus is Lord? Do you recognize him as Lord? The third thing she teaches us about Jesus is that he is king. This is unmistakable. This woman calls him the son of David. Now, we've seen that title before in the book of Matthew. We saw in chapter 9, the two blind men cried out, Son of David. We know that that is the promised king of the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel 7, God made a covenant with David, the king. And he said that there would be another king, a son, that would come from his house, and his kingdom would be established forever. This is the son of David. Now the scriptures kind of elaborate on this king, describe more about him. Genesis tells us he's also a son of Judah. He's coming from the line of Judah. Micah tells us that he would be born in Bethlehem. Daniel tells us that the king will come in the clouds in glory. Isaiah tells us that this king would suffer as a servant before the glory 
Matthew tells us exactly who this king is. Matthew names him. I don't know if you remember, but he names him in the first chapter and the first verse of his book. In Matthew 1.1, he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, who? The son of David. The king is Jesus. Jesus is the king. And I think it's incredible. Leave it to a Gentile woman to tell the Jews who their king is. Amazing. I love how Jesus set her up for that. And so the fourth thing we see here about Jesus, we're learning from what this woman is saying or what she's asking for from him, is that he is Savior. He is Savior. This woman comes to Jesus and she asks for help. Recognizing her need. She asks for help because her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now, demons are not empowering. They are not cool. They are oppressive forces that hurt people. This girl is under dominion. She's a slave to this force of spiritual darkness. And this physical condition is just a manifestation of our ultimate Spiritual condition, all of us are under the dominion of darkness without Christ. We are slaves to our sin and slaves to the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. We're just subjects in his cruel world. I don't know if you saw this, but in verse 22, she asks for mercy because her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But in verse 25, she says, Lord, help me. She identifies herself with her daughter's oppression, and, and you mothers would do the same, wouldn't you? If your daughter is suffering, severely oppressed by a demon, then you are suffering, severely oppressed by watching her suffer. This woman recognizes these spiritually dark forces are out of my control. I'm helpless and I'm hopeless without a savior. But she knows and she goes to the one who can. The one who has power over darkness. The one that Colossians tells us has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And he has transferred us to the kingdom of the Son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This woman knows and she sees and believes that a great light has come to the people who dwell in darkness. That the light has dawned on those who dwell in the shadow of death. That's the messianic prophecy. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus forgives sin. He redeems us out of the dominion. Slavery to sin, the dominion of the forces of darkness, and transfers us into the kingdom of His light. Look at all this Canaanite woman has taught us about Jesus. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Savior. I wonder, do you, or have you gone to Jesus for mercy in your life? Do you see and recognize Him as Lord? Do you serve Him as your King? Is he your savior? 
Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Number two, look at faith. Look at faith. I wonder, are any of you bothered by the way that Jesus treated this woman? Does it bother you? He initially ignores her. He doesn't answer her request. And then he makes statements as if to deny her, her request. Say, I didn't come for the Gentiles. I came for the lost sheep of Israel. And then, and then, he almost refers to her as, what, a a dog. Are you bothered by that? Initially, I was too. It's good to ask questions of the text and go, wait a minute. This is not characteristic of the Jesus I know. What is he doing here? This seems out of character. Jesus has notoriously been so approachable and so sweet to women. Think about the woman with the bleed. He was so kind to her and soft and tender, calling her daughter. Why is he stringing this woman along? Why, what is the purpose behind his approach here? Why does it take Jesus so long to get to this statement, okay? We've got we to look at where he ends up first. Where, what's the statement he says of this woman? He says it in verse 28. He says, O woman, great is your faith. Now that is an excellent commendation. That is high praise. Jesus doesn't say that a lot, and he has only said something like it one other time. Do you remember who it was for? It was the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion in chapter 8. He said to him, or he said out loud, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Interesting. It's another Gentile. And what did he just tell Peter? Do you remember? You have little faith. What's he going to tell his disciples again in chapter 17? You have little faith. What's Jesus teaching us here? What is he highlighting about this woman's faith that's so impressive to him? That makes him marvel. What does he draw out of her? I mean, this is, this is high, high praise for this Gentile woman. I can't think of a greater commendation by the Lord and a greater contrast to the religious Jewish leaders that he just dealt with. I mean, these guys do not have faith. And then this Gentile, lowly Gentile woman expresses great faith. It's amazing. So why does Jesus lead her through this valley of humiliation, so you will, to get her to the mountaintop of praise? I believe it's for this reason. Jesus tests her to demonstrate what great faith looks like. He Again, like gravity, draws it out of her. He's, in order to display the gold of this woman's faith, he goes through the process of panning, draws it out. And he's patient with her. And he's strategic with every response to draw out the persistence, the expression, the confession, and ultimately to show His big plan. And so let's look at faith. Let's look at her great faith. Now I need to to start by saying faith is a gift from God. Faith cannot be conjured up or mustered up from within. And any measure of faith is sufficient to save. 
You don't get it in doses, if you will, pertaining to justification. If you have faith, you are justified. You are made right with God, no matter how great or how little it is. It's not based on your own work. It's not based on your own mustering or your own strength. Faith alone and Christ alone justifies us before God. But listen to this. That gift, once it is received by you, and you're right with God, justified by God, that gift can be tested. That gift can be stretched. That gift can be drawn by a devotion and an affection for Christ. That gift will produce fruit in your life. It will. That gift, once received, it doesn't rest dormant. It is active. And we can grow, therefore. We are free to strive after Christ, to grow in our faith, to be stretched so that God can, through us, produce incredible fruit and glorify His name. Let me ask you, do you want a little faith or do you want a great faith? Sure, you trust in Christ. You are justified before God by that faith and that is a great resting place for us as Christians. But are you also striving in faith, growing, straining forward. I don't know about you, I want to have a great faith. I want a faith that is produced by God and produces great fruit in my life. And so we can learn from this woman's expression of faith, some of the fruit that the faith produced in her. Number one, faith confesses Christ for who he is. Faith confesses Christ for who he is. We heard wonderful confessions come out of this woman. Romans 10.9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We just learned in the previous account that what comes out of the mouth comes from where? The heart. So this woman, her confession affirms the reality of what she believes. It says a lot about who she is. John writes about this this reality of our confession, especially related to who Jesus is. In 1 John 4, John says, Whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ is not from God. But whoever confesses, confesses that Jesus is the Christ is from God. You must confess that he's the Christ, he's the Messiah. 1 John 4, 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, that means God abides in him, and he abides in God. 1 John 5, 20, here's another confession. The Son of God is the true God, and eternal life in his name. Do you confess Jesus is who he says he is? This woman said that Jesus is Lord, he's the son of David, therefore he's the Messiah, the Savior King. This woman apparently knew a lot about this Messiah, knew enough to say what many Jews did not say. I wonder, would you confess these things about Jesus? Would you be able to express from words who he is to people, unashamedly, in the workplace, at your family dinners? Perhaps... One of the ways that you can increase your faith is to learn more about him, is to study the object, to have a defense, 
a confession as you learn more and grow in your understanding of Christ. Great faith is unashamed to confess Jesus for who he is. Number two, and we're talking about the fruits and expressions of faith. Two, faith depends completely on the Savior. Faith is dependent. Great faith is not marked by self-confidence. It is marked by utter dependence. Now, this woman is obviously desperate. She pleads with Jesus to save her and her daughter. She rightly understands she's utterly unable to fix this. So she is dependent upon a Savior. And listen, this is really important for you to understand in relation to faith. The strength of faith. The strength of faith depends on the strength of the object, not on the mustard strength of the individual holding it. The strength of faith depends on the strength of the object, not on the mustard strength of the individual holding it. Let me give you a simple illustration. I'm falling off a cliff. And I have two objects to hold on to. On one side, I have a twig, kind of a wily twig that's coming out of a bush. On the other side, I have the trunk of an oak. Now, it does not matter, you know this, it does not matter how tightly I grip that twig, it's not going to hold me, right? But if I grasp on that trunk of the oak, that oak has the strength to hold me. And then faith means there's a net on it too. So even if I let go, faith holds me in Christ. Of course, no illustration is perfect, but faith is similar. It is confidence in the strength of the object, which is, in our case, Jesus the Savior, the Christ. He lived the perfect life we couldn't live. He died as the sacrifice for our sins. He rose from the dead victorious. He accomplished our salvation. He promises to bring it to completion. And like this woman, my confidence is in Him and in Him alone. And when I doubt, my faith feels small. I look to Christ because it is He who holds me fast. And that increases the vigor of my passion for Him as I look at the object. See, a greater vision of Christ will increase your faith. And actually, we weaken our faith when we look within. When we look to ourselves and our own strength. We don't live by our own strength. We live by His. And we will understand this. We will fail ourselves. We will. But He never fails. So if your faith feels weak, if you're doubting, look to Christ who holds you fast. A complete dependence on the Savior. That's what faith does. Number three, faith submits humbly to the Lord. The posture of faith is submission. Notice this woman's posture, verse 25. says in the ESV version, but she came and she knelt before him calling him Lord. Now listen, I love the ESV version. I preach from the ESV version, but I think this is a tame translation. It's not that she knelt before him. You know what the word is? Proskuneo. 
That's the word for worship. She prostrated herself before him. She bowed down to the floor, worshiping him. It was a posture of utter submission. And this is the posture of faith. Surrender. Submission. Worship. That's what faith looks like as it is expressed in our lives. He's not just the Lord. It's evident that He is our Lord. And that we recognize and submit our lives to Him as Lord. You need to know this. Understand this, friend. You do not make Jesus Lord of your life. He is Lord of your life. The question is, do you submit to Him as Lord? Do you surrender to Him in every aspect of your life? As Lord. See, when the Master calls, you follow. When the Lord commands, you obey. Because He's already your Lord. And you've recognized Him as such. And you submit your life wholly to Him. So Jesus is the Lord. Make no mistake. Whether you call Him Lord or not. But my question for you is, do you call Him Lord? Is He your Lord? Do you have the posture of faith, submission to Christ as your master? You need to know that he is Lord over every disease. He's Lord over demons. He's Lord over rulers, over nature, over history, over the bad things that happen in your life, over the good things that happen in your life. He's Lord in your job. He's Lord in your marriage. He's Lord in your friendships. He's Lord in this church. Have you brought every area of your life into submission to him? Do you submit to Him as Lord? Where are the outliers in your life, the rebels, that are still raising their fist against the Lord? Surrender. Submit. Great faith humbles itself before the Lord. And maybe some of you will not bow in this life. You might not. You may not surrender. But the Bible says you will one day. Because every creature will bow down. Listen, Philippians 2. Every creature at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow down in heaven and on earth and those even under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what the Father wants, is you to confess that He is Lord. Have you done that? Number four. Great faith, just an expression of great faith, it persists diligently in following Jesus. It persists diligently in following Jesus. This woman, she will not let Jesus go. She won't. She's like that persistent widow who keeps coming to the judge for justice over and over and over again. She won't stop bothering him. The tense of the verb in verse 22 seems to indicate she was continually crying out over and over and over again, these phrases. The disciples say, send her away because she keeps calling out to us. It's annoying to them. Mark's gospel tells us that this woman follows him all the way into a house. She's persistent. And even after being ignored, denied twice, called a dog, she persists. That's great faith. An expression of great faith. She goes after the mercy that she came for. And Jesus commends her for it. It's as great as your faith. I wonder if you persist 
Do you persist in your pursuit of Christ or do you give up too quickly on him? Thinking he doesn't care. He's not going to act. He's not going to respond to your prayers. So you might as well give up. Have you done that? Have you been there? Or do you persist in your pursuit of him? Are you like Jacob who wrestles with God and says, I'm not leaving, by the way, until you give me my blessing? Something about that persistence, going after the Lord. That's what the Lord wants. Don't stop believing. Don't stop trusting him. Whatever you're going through, persist with, in, in great faith and believe that he'll never give up. He's patient with this woman. He really is patient with her. He waits to answer her request over and over again, almost to say to her, keep coming. Keep bothering me. I want that whole heart. Will you give him your whole heart in faith, trusting in him, being persistent to go after him? I mean, look at faith. This is an incredible expression, fruit of great faith in this woman's life. Don't you want to be like her in that way, have great faith. Finally, we're, we've looked at Jesus, we've looked at faith, and now we're going to look at Gentile salvation. Gentile salvation. There is a bigger purpose in this story here. It's kind of a big movement here that's important. Again, it's part of the scene that you can't miss. In Matthew chapter 4, Matthew told us that Jesus began his ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles. And he did that to fulfill the prophecy which says that people who dwell in darkness will see a light. And that the light has dawned on the people who have dwelt in the shadow of death. That's in reference to the Gentiles. And the light, of course, is Christ. Who's coming to them with the gospel of salvation. In Matthew chapter 8, after his encounter with the Roman centurion... Jesus told us that many, many Gentiles would sit with Abraham at his table. And so that's a clue, and that's a hint, and that's pretty actually an explicit statement that salvation isn't just for the Jewish people, which is what a lot of Jewish people misunderstood, but salvation will go to the nations, to the Gentiles. That's all the nations are. Gentiles, fancy word for ethnicity, the, the nations. That is anybody outside of Ethnic Judaism or ethnic Jew. And then Jesus says some inter interesting things in this encounter. He says, I came first to the lost sheep of Israel, and then kind of makes the dog illusion. The woman responds. What are all these things alluding to? Listen to me. This is the big purpose, kind of a big plan in this story. This marks the beginning of a new age. The beginning of a new age, we, we would maybe say a new dispensation. That, that's what that means. Just a new age in God's redemptive plan. History is being made here and being illustrated wonderfully. Not only is God about to show us how salvation will be accomplished, it's going to be accomplished through the sacrifice of His Son, He's going to show us who He has in mind for salvation. And hint, hint, it's not just the Jews. It's the nations. All nations, in fact. And you need to know that this was God's plan from the beginning. It's not that God changed his mind or developed a new plan in Matthew. He had this plan all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, in the Abrahamic covenant, follow me here, God blesses and makes promises to Abraham. He, makes, he blesses and makes promises to the nation that would come from Abraham. That's the Jews. And then he makes promises beyond that. 
At the end of the covenant, he says, and in you, in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. There are the nations, all people, every tribe, tongue, and language. And so, yes, Israel is God's chosen nation. They're recipients of the covenants and promises. But through an offspring of Israel, all of the nations would be blessed. All of them would receive that blessing. And this is wonderfully illustrated by Jesus and the woman. In fact, Jesus starts the illustration here, and the woman finishes it. It's, it's really cool, the wording. Let's, let's look at it. and Look at verse 26. Jesus answered, he says, It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, he's starting a parable, an illustration here to explain his point. Children, in this context, are obviously a reference to Israel, the nation. They're the children of God's covenant blessings. Now, the bread is a reference to a blessing, provision, salvation, namely. And dogs were usually a derogatory term for Gentiles. And that's what Jews would call Gentiles. They were the dogs, the outcasts, the scavengers. But you want to know something interesting about this. Jesus doesn't use the derogatory term. Jesus uses the other term for dogs, domestic pets. So he actually doesn't demean this girl. He's setting her up, what I believe, for her to finish the illustration. He's referring to these dogs as domestic dogs, not the untamed dogs that, would, that the Jews would call the Gentiles. And then look at the woman's response. She says, yes, Lord, affirming what he said. And then she says, yet, or we read it as yet. Now, this is grammar, but follow me. It's helpful to understand Jesus here. Yet, we often understand as a contrast. You say, yet, I say, it's a contrast. This is not a contrasting conjunction in the Greek. This is an explanation. You can understand it this way. Yes, Lord, since, or for, even the dogs. You see how she's kind of elaborating on the illustration here. Since, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Do you understand? She's saying, yes, but even the dogs are the masters. Even the dogs get the blessing. Yes, Lord, that is true. The blessing came originally and primarily for the children, but when the children don't accept it, the Gentiles receive it. What's happening here is what happens every time my two-year-old eats at grandma and grandpa's. Exactly. Most of his food ends up on the floor, and Petey... Their little rat terrier gets the blessing. He gobbles it up. One man's trash is another man's treasure. The Gentiles, see, are receiving the gospel that Israel is rejecting. The gospel of the kingdom has been presented with power to the Jews first, as was promised. But as a whole, the nation has rejected Jesus. Don't worry. We believe in God's redemptive plan that... Israel will eventually repent and they'll be restored. They'll receive those promises. But until then, listen, what this woman is illustrating, until then, the gospel goes to the nations. The blessing goes out to all people from every tribe and tongue. They all receive it by faith. 
They all receive Christ as co-heirs. They will receive the inheritance of the kingdom, saved from their sins. The Gentiles have been at the heart of God's plan all along. And that's good news, friends. Why? Because you and I, we're Gentiles. Different nations and ethnicities represented here. Largely, though, maybe some of you, you know, identify as ethnic Israel, but we're Gentiles. That's good news. That means we, we, us, we were a part of God's plan from the very beginning. And he showed us through the faith of this woman that faith is going to the nations. And that faith would someday reach you. Praise God. And that you would hear the good news of the gospel as it went out to the nations. You living in the United States of America in the year 2023, whatever year you were saved, the gospel came to you. You received and you believed. And by faith, understand this, by faith you become a co-heir. By faith you receive the promises and the blessing that were promised by God in the ancient days. Oh, this is great news. And this is, marks a turning point in history when God looks out to the nations. Israel was not the light they should have been. Jesus is the light they should have been. And the gospel goes to us. This is amazing. A little story that illustrates that, right? I wonder if you see what this woman sees. If you believe what this woman believes. Do you see the woman's story in your own? Have you come to Christ begging for mercy? Acknowledging your utter helplessness and calling him Lord, King, Savior. Do you believe in him by faith? Do you receive Christ and his inheritance, the inheritance of the king, the opportunity to eat the food from his table? No, listen. If you believe in Christ, you are now a son or a daughter at the table. You eat with him. That's amazing. So this woman, for the purpose of the illustration, to broaden it further, the domestic dog was invited to the table to eat with Christ. Full participant in his magnificent salvation plan. Is this all the reason to praise him? To worship him? To thank him? Praise God for Christ. Praise God for his great plan of salvation. Praise God that he includes us. And that we receive Christ by faith. And we receive this food that we've gotten from our master. And we go out to the world and share it with others. Encourage others, just like this woman. Look at Jesus. Look at faith. Look at God's big plan. Isn't he wonderful? Let's pray. Father, we know it's your desire, your will to glorify the Son. That we all would come here on a Sunday and worship Him and lift Him up. We would call and encourage and remind each other, look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, as we gaze into the eyes of our Master, as we worship Christ as Lord, increase our faith, produce in us and in our lives great fruit of faith, Help our eyes to be clear, our vision set on Christ. And remind us of who we are in Him, what He has accomplished for us, and the reality that that has made in our life to continue to follow Him and grow in our love for Him forever. 
God, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know Christ, who has not yet bowed the knee to him as Lord. Pray that they would surrender today as an expression of the faith that you've placed within them. I pray for salvation to happen, that they would see Christ as merciful, that he's Lord, he's King, he's Savior. That you would save some, even today. We love you, Father. And we so appreciate and are so thankful for the many blessings you've poured out in our lives, namely, your Son. We love the Son. We love the Son, and we want to grow in our worship and our adoration of Him, even in this Christmas season. Help us to see Christ in Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.